0: This episode is brought to you by RememberingALife.com. Remembering the lives of people we love begins with sharing stories about the moments that meant the most to us. Whether we hold a meaningful funeral or memorial service, create a beautiful piece of art in their memory, or acknowledge special days like birthdays and anniversaries, capturing and honoring special memories helps us keep our loved ones close. Visit rememberingalife.com for more ideas and inspiration. Welcome to the June 2022 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. I'm Lisa Louise Cook. In this episode, we're looking into the records of the Freedmen's Bureau. It's a collection rich in genealogical information, and it's more accessible than ever. Professional researcher Shelley Viola Murphy is here to tell us more about it. And then author Dave Frixel is back to take us through some of the year's winning websites that made the new 101 Best Websites list for 2022. Gail Marquardt of the National Funeral Directors Association is going to stop by to tell us more about the Remembering a Life website that provides a wealth of ideas for honoring your ancestors. And then in our Family History Home segment, we're going to talk to Caitlin Abrams, who's been making her mark on TikTok, sharing cemetery stories. And finally, we'll wrap things up with a visit with Family Tree Magazine editor, Andrew Cook. As always, we have a lot to cover, so let's get to it. First up is Tree Talk with Rachel Christian. Well, Rachel Christian, as you know, is our social media editor at Family Tree Magazine, and she's here to tell us what's trending in the world of genealogy. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. I know that you kind of keep your fingers on the pulse of what goes on, particularly in social media. And I know there's that's a really active place for genealogy. What's going on this month?
1: Uh, well, in June, social media in general has kind of been on the brain here at Family Tree. And I wanted to let our listeners know about a new feature article that was in the magazine that will be coming online this month. It's from me, and basically it's about how to preserve social media. And what we mean by that is, when you are going about your genealogy research and you're talking about it on social media, you know, in a Facebook group or participating in a Twitter discussion, something like that, and there is something, a comment or whatever else, that you want to save as part of your research, how exactly do you go about doing that? You know, as our listeners who are on social will know, it's not as simple as just hitting a download button or or export or even taking a screenshot. It it can be quite messy if you want to save something on social media to reference later. So, this article is kind of walks you through all your different options and, you know, briefly mentions things like copyright and image resolution and all the kind of like the nitty-gritty of what actually goes on when you try and save something from Facebook or from Twitter. So that is new this month, and of course there will be a link to that in the show notes. So I just wanted to mention that. And along with that, we'll be updating some of our other social media content. So we'll be updating our list of the best social media accounts for genealogy, and we'll be adding a section for TikTok. (laughs) Um, For better or worse, we are on TikTok. And so we thought we should add a new section to that where we draw attention to some of the better genealogists that we've found on TikTok, one of which I believe you'll be talking to later this episode.
0: Yes, absolutely. Caitlin Abrams is here. And she's been... um, talking about stories from the cemeteries on TikTok. I mean, who would have who known? So, it'll be really interesting to hear what she's doing there. And so, you're finding other genealogists are over there as well. That's a really interesting point about trying to preserve messages. Sometimes it is just via social media that we get an, an important message or a lead on our research from maybe another researcher. So, this is going to be uh, what a print article in the magazine, as well as an article online on the website. Yep, it'll be um, both places. Well, we will have a link to the article online and the show notes page. And also, do you know, do you know what issue it's coming up in um, Family Tree Magazine? I believe it is July, August. Ah, I okay, it. perfect. All right. Well, this sounds terrific. We are looking forward to our conversation with Caitlin, and we will look forward to your article on social media. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you. The records of the Freedmen's Bureau are more accessible than ever before, which is great news. And joining me now is the descendant project researcher for the University of Virginia, Shelly Viola Murphy. She's going to tell us more about the Bureau and the records it created. Welcome to the show, Shelly. Hello. Glad to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. We were just talking before we got started that... uh, you and I met years ago at Roots Tech and had an opportunity to talk about, you've been listening to, I think, about the Genealogy Gems podcast, and uh, our, it's so fun that our paths have crossed over the years.
2: Yes, it has been, and, and I've been a you know, great follower of the Genealogy podcast, so thank you for that. It got me through quite a bit of times and a lot of genealogy challenges. Awesome. Well, we're
0: so happy that you're here right now to help us with, I guess, some challenges, you know, doing our research always presents kind of roadblocks for us now and then. And we're talking about the Freedmen's Bureau records. And you were saying in your recent article, which is in the May, June uh, 2022 issue of Family Tree Magazine, it's called Let Freedom Ring. You were saying that the Freedmen's Bureau records are really, sometimes the key. doing the work that you do. Tell us about that.
2: Sure. Well, my job is to find descendants of enslaved laborers. And the time frame actually is from about 1817 through freedom and for African Americans. And so the Freedmen's Bureau, which is also called Record Group 105, is a federal collection. The Freedmen's Bureau was set up as a relief organization. And people can access these records on Ancestry or Family Search or at the National Archives. What's unique about it is it sets up from 1865 to 1872. And when you're doing African American research, you have the slave era time that's coming through where you're going to have challenges to finding records and resources. But this collection offers so much. So when I mean it's set up as a relief organization, when the Civil War has ended, there is opportunity for the refugees, freedmen, and people that had abandoned lands to get assistance. So the Bureau was oversaw by the military. So what happened was they were there to offer transportation assistance, um, assistance with labor contracts. That would be where the formerly enslaved were able to now be hired and receive pay, probably from their former enslaved holder, you know, and, and proceed on in earning money and try to be self-sufficient. But they also had military records there because part of the Bureau was to work with the United States Colored Troops. So there's an array of information that is there. Uh, People could apply for rations. And you think about it, you have the refugees in this federal collection are white people. And then you've got freedmen, which are identified as the formerly enslaved. So don't think it's just an African-American collection. It's federal, so everybody is included. So throughout the South, they set up these field offices where folks could come and access those services. So with the research with UVA, it was critical to find out if I could find them before 1870 because some of these enslaved laborers were worked or rented to the university like in the early 1800s did they make it through the civil war time or or did they hire in later maybe closer to 1850s and 60s where I could tap in you know maybe to slave schedules but then again I can go to the bureau records and look through and I see names I see communities. There's a collection of information there. There's letters that are sent. I could approach as a formerly enslaved person and say, my children were sold to Mississippi. I'm in a Virginia field office. They can request and write a letter to Mississippi and inquiring about the information that I provided them. So it's really a reconnecting to families as well. And you're also able to track who applied or who went, you know, or who they were interacting with. Because there's also the letters that are received on complaints. The Freedmen's Bureau had a court hearings and people could file a complaint. It could be about pay, it could be something that was uh, violence or something that continued to happen. And the court would have to help settle that or resolve it. So it is jam packed with names and locations and people that are involved. So it's just a magnificent collection that I hope people don't ignore and more people will start to use. Well, and as you said, you know,
0: it's more available. I know FamilySearch did a huge project in in working with other organizations to get these things digitized so they're available. Before we talk about some of the specific types of records Mm -hmm. that maybe a genealogist would go for, you mentioned the letters. And I know that a lot of different kinds of letters got written back and forth do you know by chance, are those searchable or do you really kind of have to just browse those letters to look for people and information?
2: Well, it's a little bit of both. And one of the Mm. things I'd like to encourage people to use also besides our family search and ancestry in the National Archives, that there is a website called Mapping the Freedmen's Bureau. And I believe it's .com or .org. Tony Carrier and Angela Walton Raji built this a few years ago. And what they did was they mapped every place a field office was at. And then it takes you right into either, once you pop on your area, it goes right into either Family Search or the National Archives where that record is at. So then you're in to the Bureau of Microfilms and looking at. But what's also on this site. Is a list of every state that had the field offices. So that's another place. Plus, you're looking at a map. And so when you go in and you're looking at these letters, you can browse through because it will tell you how many images are there. But you can also, if you're using Ancestry or even Family Search, you can put a name in and search. My recommendation would be to browse regardless, because if you're researching a community, you want to know who all is in the community and not just focus on a name, because we all know there's misspellings and things like that that will take more time to try to figure out where if we just go ahead and browse these records, we'll probably find who we're looking for. So it does take a lot of time.
0: That is excellent, excellent advice. Um, Before I let you go, I'd love to have you highlight a couple of the particular kinds of records that we might expect to find that you think that the genealogists could really benefit from.
2: Well, there's records of marriages where now that Mm -hmm. formerly enslaved can now have what is recognized as a legal marriage. And I believe in Virginia in 18... I want to say 66 or 67... Uh, there was a law passed that they could be married. So you can go into the county where a field office is at. What you will see on an actual record will be the name of the man or the husband and his age. And then you see the name of the bride, the spouse, and her age and where they're located. But what's also interesting is you can scan through looking at these marriage records and you can also see the notes that say, say the husband, Nelson Price, was married before and had to Sarah, age whatever, and they had these children and they're all living. Or maybe it's the spouse and it says formerly married, you know, and and husband died, but there was three kids. Here's their names. So the access of the information that it's bringing forth just gets you one more step closer in finding information. So marriage records would be something, you know, if we have no idea, because, you know, during slavery, the enslaved people were not allowed to marry. But now they're coming forth and saying, this is my husband or this is who we lived together for the last 15 years. These are our children. But what's also interesting, it can also say, and our former slaveholder was. And so you see a lot of some of those records that will identify, which is one of the biggest challenges African Americans have, is to find who owned their ancestors. While looking in the Freedmen's Bureau, that connection could be there. And the labor contract is another quick example, because nine times out of ten, who those formerly enslaved are engaged into a labor contract is probably the slave owner, the previous slave owner that they had. And, of course, it's a standard labor contract with information, uh, details on how much they're going to get paid, and it might even say former slave of so-and-so right on the labor contract. So it's a fascinating collection and one not to be missed. Absolutely. And and your article is not to be missed because it's going to help people
0: understand the records within the context of the time, the kinds of information, and um, really how to get the most out of them. Again, the article is called Let Freedom Ring. Everybody listening can read it in the May, June, 2022 issue of Family Tree Magazine. And Shelly, tell folks how they can learn more about you and
2: uh, get in touch with you. Well, the best way is to find me on Facebook. There is a Facebook page called Finding Enslaved Laborers at UVA. And you can contact me there, send a message, and there's an email there. And if anyone is a possible descendant or has ties to central virginia counties i'd love to hear from you
0: fantastic you've been listening to dr shelly viola murphy and shelly it's always wonderful to catch up with you thank you so much Shelley. thank you As you heard at the top of the show, this episode is sponsored by RememberingAlife.com. And here to tell us more about it is Gail Marquardt. She is the Vice President of Consumer Engagement for the National Funeral Directors Association. Welcome to the show, Gail.
3: Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm thrilled to have the opportunity. Well, you know, there are a lot of things that families
0: face when a loved one passes. Tell us about some of the things that people are coping with that you're trying to address there on the website.
3: Well, you know, one of the things that I think is important to remember is that we don't plan funerals very often, really, in our lives. If we're fortunate, we only plan a few. So when you do, I think there's a lot of the unknown facing you. You're experiencing grief, which can be very intense, and it can be difficult to sort through all the options and the opportunities that you have for remembering a loved one it can also be really easy to want to just get through it and maybe have a direct cremation or not have a service and remembering a life really encourages people to not only explore all their options but do so in a way so that they can provide a meaningful tribute to their loved one, which can be very simple, can be very extravagant, but the website really walks them through all of those options and creative ways to remember loved ones as well. Um, We have a lot of ideas for art projects and writing projects that can help you not only work through your grief, but also help honor your loved one.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. And, and the site really addresses both for the recent passing of a loved one, but also those of us who are kind of getting to know those who came before who passed many, many years ago and ways to honor them as well. Tell us about some of the specific uh, ideas and, and areas of the site that you have to help people with all this.
3: Yeah, so that's a really good point, that it's never too late to honor the life of someone. We may think about the immediacy of planning a funeral when someone dies, um, but we can honor someone who died 10 years ago. We can honor ancestors who died 100 years ago. Um, And a lot of the projects that we have range from creating an essence tree which is a painting that you create and we guide you through the process of ways you can honor both your grief and your loved one and that can be a beautiful way to also honor someone who died long ago maybe it's a family tree that you create and honor a variety of people who have died of of your ancestors we also have things like grief composting and planting a memory garden. So grief composting is a process where you work in the soil, you work in your garden, and you, in essence, you compost your grief so that you're working it into the soil, you're moving forward in a positive way. And maybe you've planted a flower or a tree in that location and you can look back on that person and reflect on fond memories
0: boy, that's wonderful. It it can be so difficult in the moment of deep mourning to think of the things that will matter to us later. And that's what remembering a com really seems to be offering. We've I see here the podcast you have, the blog, great places to start. And the website is remembering a com. Gail Marquardt, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this with us.
3: Thank you so much, Lisa are you looking for some blockbuster
0: websites for genealogy? Well, we've got them for you in this episode's best genealogy website segment. Uh, Dave Frixell is back to take us through some of this year's winning websites that made the new 2022 list for the 101 best websites for genealogy. Welcome back to the show, Dave.
4: Thanks very much. Here we go again.
0: Yes, oh, we always look forward to your list, and I see in this new list that you have rolled out kind of a Hollywood-style red carpet for what you call the uh, the Blockbuster 101 Best Genealogy Websites that will leave you on the edge of your seat. Oh, I love the sound of this! It's it sounds like you're pretty excited about this year's websites.
4: Yes, in fact, I'll I'll let you into a little secret, you and the listeners. We really liked the uh, the Hollywood theme this year. And so I even tried to to name the categories after movies. And you will not see this in the finished product because I think maybe I was reaching too far. But like the really big websites like Ancestry, the category is called Giant after the uh, James Dean movie. The American yes. websites were called National Treasure after the Nicolas Cage movie. And at one point I was going to call the... Uh, DNA websites, weird science. If you remember that little movie, but yes. now they are just <laughs> more normal names, which I guess is fine. So
0: <laughs> sounds like you were having fun with this list this fun, year. Yes. With
4: your uh, yes,
0: yeah,
4: <laughs> no, <I laughs> tried to come oh, I with, love you know, it. Uh, the basics. We got best sites for maps, cemeteries, um, vital records. Uh, you know, um, American sites, foreign sites. Sort of, uh, you know, run the whole uh, whole gamut as well as. Of course the big ones like ancestry and heritage quest online and my heritage and all those guys
0: exactly it's it's a eclectic mix and these are all great uh, what are some of the the standout stars then on your uh, website walk of fame who who really got you excited this year
4: well i think you know notably you know we always list ones like ancestry and family search and find my past and those but it it is exciting how much those have added you know just in the past year (laughs) you know ancestry now has like 30 billion records and 10,000 terabytes of data Um, they added 200 million names from uh their sister site newspaper.com i mean it just keeps growing and growing and growing family search added like 48 million records from uh, military roles uh every one of them is doing something you know really you know gigantic my heritage added uh well, hundreds of millions of French records after they um, bought this French site called pile and most of them are in the genealogy genetics business, and have added features, you know, for that to make that easier. So, really, the the big sites keep getting, you know, bigger and and better, and you know, ever more worth the the money. Of course, family search is free.
0: Yes, and you know, it's interesting as you talk about these because you're right. I mean, they they have to be on the list, but. You and I have been talking about these 101 Best Websites lists for years now. And I can't imagine 10 years ago if we had been talking about this and you would have been rattling off those kinds of numbers. I mean, it would have been really hard to imagine, wouldn't it?
4: Oh, it, it's just astonishing. I mean, the, the, you know, over the years you know, that we've been doing this, when we first started years and years ago, you know, the fact that the Ellis Island records were online you know, it was just this gigantic yeah. deal. Family Search had just come out, and it was just this amazing thing. And that was before they basically digitized everything that you used to have to go to your family history center for. So it, the the leaps and bounds is just sort of hard to uh, you know hard to imagine. There's so much now. We used to joke, you know, that uh, in the magazine that he would say, "Oh." You know, I'm just going to do all my family tree research online. And that was, you know, ridiculous. But now you kind of can Right. There's, There's an awful lot of it that you can just do without ever, you know, leaving your house or getting out of your PJs.
0: Exactly. You can do so much. It can keep you really busy, even though there's always things to find offline. Boy, you could stay very busy just online. So those are the big players. Who are some of the other stars in the list this year?
4: Well, we added, you know, we always try to add some new ones. And you might notice a couple of trends here. A couple of them are either sites that have sprung off from sites we already had or that are evolutions of those sites. So, for example, we added the Newspaper Navigator site from the Library of Congress, which lets you—we you, have had Chronicling America from them, which is newspapers. Um, but this lets you search like 1.5 million historical newspaper photos— so that, I mean, it's just a really cool technology, and I'm sure we'll continue to, uh, you know, to grow. There was a site, I think we had in this site, it was last year, called Mapire, and it's now evolved into something called Arcanum Maps. And it's historical maps of Europe, and it is really, again, grown, and you can search for specific places, and they have all kinds of, you know, city, county, and, and special land maps. So things like that that are, are really, really cool sites. We also added a site from Harvard called Immigration to the United States that has like 400,000 pages from 2,200 books about immigration. So if you want to learn more than you just can learn from, you know, uh, Ellis Island, for example, this is a great place uh, to start. And all these are new or returning or evolved onto the list to make them a little bit different.
0: Wow, really cool. Fun to see new names on the list. And uh, I noticed that you also dig into different um, ethnicities, different areas of the world. Um, anything over in Europe?
4: Oh, man, there's so many. One of the ones that's, uh, again, new to the list is that we put on, even though if you're a MyHeritage subscriber, you can get a lot of these lists. It's the FILE, uh, F-I-L-A-E, and it's one of two French sites on there, GeniNet being the other one. So. I think for a while, people who had French ancestors maybe were lagging a little bit in uh, what they would get, uh, you know, could get online. But now with those online, and both one has, one is affiliated with MyHeritage, the other, now with Ancestry, it's become so much easier. Philly, for example, has more than a billion civil registrations, censuses, early church records, and, and so forth, and a bunch of partner institutions. So it's they're really just a bunch of terrific uh, resources for you.
0: Yeah, it's certainly expanded in terms of um, what we can do. In the, the websites coming out of other countries, it's really exciting to see. Um, anything else we should be sure to put on our list to, to go check first?
4: Well, of course, we've got a whole category for DNA or weird sciences—I want to call
2: it—and
4: yes. um, <laughs> they're mostly familiar sites. You know, all we sort of all the all the Biggies family, True DNA, that sort of thing. 23 me, But we added a, a site called Your DNA Guide, which is a really good helper site, if you will, with answers to questions about, you know, what is all the. Because I think people still get very confused by DNA and it seems very confusing. So that's very helpful. Also helpful is another new one called Family Tree Searcher, which will search up to 10 sites like Ancestry.com or even World Connect all at once. So you enter your information. Just once and boom, it does all the searching for you. So saving a lot. So in addition to the big data sites, we try to include some of these that are either helpful advice like these and like a, you know, certain Lisa Louise Cook's um, site and tools that can help you sort of cut through the clutter online. Because, you know, we we do 101 bus websites. There are a lot more out there. So it's nice to have some guidance beyond us as to, uh, you know, what's out there.
0: Absolutely. I I really like that you do not only include just this wealth of of record websites, but the tools too, because there are so many tools that help us process and analyze the data that we're gleaning from all these wonderful records. So it all comes together in the Walk of Fame, which is David's article that is coming out in the magazine. And we're going to have a link in the show notes so that you can get your hands on that issue of the magazine. But also, this list is available online at FamilyTreeMagazine.com. Dave, it's always fun to see what you come up with. And thank you so much for just keeping us abreast of the top websites that we should be concentrating on. We appreciate it.
4: Thanks so much.
0: The video sharing app TikTok is mostly known for dance and stunt related videos. And it's kind of aimed at teenagers and young adults. So that kind of begs the question, how did 35 year old Caitlin Abrams end up getting over 2 million followers talking about dead people in cemeteries? Well, Caitlin herself is here to answer that question and tell us all about it.
5: Hi, Caitlin. Hi, thank you for having me.
0: So let's talk about the cemetery angle here first before we can figure out how in the world you got all these folks following you to see your work. How did your interest in old cemeteries start and what kinds of things are you doing at cemeteries?
5: Yeah, so um, I am born and raised in New England where there's a cemetery, you know, every hundred feet or so. (laughs) So as a child, I spent a lot of time just (laughs) checking out cemeteries and, you know, visiting and kind of... uh, making sense of what they meant and uh, making sense of the graves themselves. And I've always been really into genealogy. I I have the theory that there's always one person in the family that's super into it. And in my family, that's me. And um, my husband also is that person, so it's good. <laughs> so when we started going through our own <laughs> genealogy and kind of rooting out the stories there... I was just totally fascinated, especially because my family comes, uh, we are Irish Catholic on my dad's side and they don't like to talk about anything uncomfortable. (laughs) So finding that stuff was really rewarding and really cool. So when we moved to Vermont, I was pregnant with our daughter and kind of struggling to, you know, be a new mom and figure out you know, what I was doing. I didn't have a lot of friends and all that kind of thing. And so I kind of returned to the cemetery just to, I was kind of trying to learn about the symbolism, the different symbols on the grave and what they meant and what they didn't mean, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And one day I just thought, Hey, I could just search for this person on ancestry.com or on, you know, on my heritage or any of the other ones. Um, and (laughs) And I started just digging into this person's life and finding all this stuff and piecing all these things together. And it was just so immersive and so interesting. My husband didn't get it. He's like, these people aren't related to you. But I was like, it doesn't matter. Everyone's got a story and I want to find it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started sharing it on Instagram um, and I did that for a couple of years and then um, slowly migrated over to TikTok my background professionally is in uh, training development and curriculum development. So I'm used to doing videos. I'm used to writing instructional content. So the videos and the short form way that TikTok kind of handles that, I, uh, I it really appealed to me and was more kind of up my alley, I guess. It kind of felt like a better, a better conduit to get that information out.
0: Right. Were you surprised that so many people were interested and and willing to sit and kind of watch you clean gravestones and tell these stories.
5: Yeah, I was. I I was really shocked by how many young people would be there. Because, you know, as you mentioned, I'm in my 30s. And TikTok always seemed like kind of a, uh, I don't know, just it it was beyond me. It was like, nope, that's for the youths. I'll let the youths have that, have their dancing app um, and, you know, have fun on their and I didn't want to invade the space. And my sister-in-law, who um, she's just she's almost thirty, and she was like, "No, we've kind of carved our own little spot on TikTok. The people that are that are older." So I joined, just kind of you know see uh, what was on there, just to lurk. And I did that for a couple months, and then I noticed other people sharing grave cleaning. So I was like, "Hey, I'll do it." And um, I was just floored. It just happened so fast. And it was like one right after the other, you know, people contacting me wanting interviews and all this. And I was like, I have no idea. (laughs) Like, I don't know what how this happened or why it happened, but I'm into it. (laughs) So
0: that's awesome. Now, I know you you do a lot of cleaning of the stones. And you know, certainly you'll get people who are very concerned about that being done the proper way. Tell us a little bit about how you learned about how to do that and maybe even some of your recommendations to those
5: listening. Sure, absolutely. So it is very important to to follow the... Um, agreed upon procedures and these are procedures agreed upon by multiple conservation groups um, and even you know my local cemetery association VOCA Vermont Old Cemetery Association this is the approach they take so it, it is kind of the gold standard the best practice when I one time I was walking in the cemetery I took a picture for the website find a grave for a descendant that was living out in Iowa and so I took a picture and the grave was in pretty rough shape and she asked if I would clean it and that was in January, and you can't clean these old stones in the winter. I live in Vermont, so the freeze and thaw cycle can be really harmful, especially on old marble. So adding more moisture is not a good idea. <laughs> so I've only just recently started. I started at the beginning of May again. It was hard to give it up for Vermont's six-month winter. I did a lot of research online just searching... And came across the solution D two biological solution, which again is the gold standard. It's what's used at Arlington National Cemetery. It's the only um, the only product that's been approved by the National Cemetery Preservation Groups. So it is the uh, again the gold standard. Is it. The thing is it's a little expensive so people want to find something cheaper but there's no shortcuts to this. This is what you have to do to try to avoid causing too much damage. So you want to make sure you're using just D2 and a whole bunch of water. I actually have a how-to guide in my link tree on my TikTok and on Instagram where it's just a Google Doc where I kind of list the process and I also provide links to the tools you want to use. At a high level all of your tools that you use actually on the stone need to be of soft materials. Basically you want the tool to break down before the grave would break down. So that means like no metal scrapers, no metal brushes, no very, very stiff brushes. Everything needs to be soft and very gentle on the stone because the goal is to do no harm, right? It's to, maybe you're not going to get it looking perfectly pristine white Mm -hmm. and really you should, I think with any preservation, activity that's not what you should be going for anyway right I read something that said if you're preserving an old book you don't bleach the pages to make it look like you just bought it at the bookstore you clean it so that someone can read it while still maintaining some of its old charm. <laughs> right so that's kind of the approach to gravestones they don't always turn out perfect but you know you can at least give them a little bit more life for um, you know however long even <laughs> just a little bit longer so that other people can enjoy and learn. So yeah, it's just, it's, I actually keep all the stuff in my trunk. I have water, D2, my brushes. I just bring them everywhere so I can just, if there's ever a grave cleaning emergency, I am there and ready to go. And the other thing (laughs) I'd say is... Sounds like you're ready. Yeah, always, always ready. So the other thing I'd say is that a lot of people on TikTok will ask me, like, why not just use a pressure washer? And that has been done at some old cemeteries, but generally speaking a high power pressure washer it works by blasting off the top layer of stone and not only does that affect the beauty of the stone and the visual appeal because you lose some of the you know especially with marble you lose that really pretty like vein appearance when you blast away that layer and i saw it once compared to taking the crust off a loaf of bread like you're you know you're taking away that protective layer And now more and more moisture and moss and lichen can get into that stone now that it's um, somewhat abraded. So it's important, again, to keep everything very gentle, very, very easygoing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to create an environment where it's actually encouraging it. To continue, yeah, where it's actually encouraging the moss and everything to continue to grow. Um, tell everybody where they can find your TikTok account. What's what's your name over there at TikTok?
5: Sure. So my TikTok username is ManicPixieMom, and that was a complete afterthought <laughs> username, but now I'm stuck with it, so <laughs> we're keeping it. Um, <laughs> and on Instagram, I am Stoned in New England because I'm hilarious. <laughs> so, <laughs> those are my main areas. Perfect. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Well, keep up the great work. I mean, it sounds like you're really doing a service. It, are, are you pretty involved with the find a grave and continuing to answer people's requests?
5: Yes, I, I really enjoy doing that, especially one of the cemeteries I have access to that they've given me permission to clean in is it's this really big, beautiful rural cemetery. And I've gotten to know it so well that I can look up someone in the cemetery records and know like where the grave is. So it makes it a lot easier that way. But um, yeah, I really like doing that.
0: (laughs) Well, it sounds wonderful. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for for sharing your story and inspiring others. Seems like the genealogy community is growing on TikTok. You can find Family Tree Magazine on TikTok as well. Thanks again, Caitlin. Good talking to you. Thank you so much. Well, as we wrap up this episode, it is time to stop by the editor's desk and uh, let's check in with Andrew Cook, the editor of Family Tree Magazine. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Lisa. Well, we've been talking to uh, lots of the contributors of the July-August issue. I'd love to have you kind of give us a, an overview of what we can look forward to in that issue.
6: Certainly. The July-August issue's cover story is our 101 Best Websites list, which I know we had Dave Frixell talk about, so I won't repeat anything that he said. I'm sure he can talk about it better than I can. But the um, issue also announced our list of the 75 best state websites. So um, every year we publish that as a state-by-state, territory-by-territory listing of the best libraries and archives and genealogical societies that people can research their ancestors at based on the locality
0: Awesome. And and is that an online article as well? Are we going to have some clickable links Mm -hmm. that we can manage of? Yep,
6: And in fact, there is a feature that you can select the state or territory that you're interested from from a dropdown and see just the websites that we've selected for that place.
0: Oh, very cool.
6: Other highlights from this issue include feature articles on tips for sharing family photos and videos online, how to use tax records, which are kind of sometimes I think an arcane, very... Uh, obscure record type but can be really useful, and then how to resolve conflicting birth dates that you might find in records and then, of course, we had Rachel on earlier to talk about her article on how to archive genealogical materials that you find on social media
0: awesome I, I highly recommend everybody listening that uh, tax record article because. You're right, Andrew. That's one of those record types. One, it's a little dry. But two, it can be a little intimidating if you don't use them regularly. So it's really nice to have uh, a little coaching along the way.
6: Yes, definitely. The issue also has uh, something that I worked on and that I'm really excited about. It's a free eight-page user guide to RootsMagic 8. And as many of our readers know, RootsMagic is a great genealogy software. Last year, they released their long-anticipated... New version, uh, Roots Magic 8, and this cheat sheet I had originally created for Roots Magic 7, but there were a lot of updates to this new software, and so we thought it was time to to put together a new version. And the guide is, uh, I think, I hope, really helpful, and it, it goes through how to create different profiles in your tree, including not just facts but also media, so photos and um, other memories that you might want to include there it has a summary of the different reports that you can create within RootsMagic and then and this is a really big feature that helps RootsMagic stand out from some other programs it can sync with ancestry.com and familysearch so you can have the trees at those websites and RootsMagic talk to each other and this has a a guide to showing you how to do that
0: oh, that's perfect you know these these guides are awesome you just you can even pop them right out of the the middle of the uh issue and have it right there on your desk with you. And I know uh, Roots Magic 8 was so highly anticipated. Um, We can all highly anticipate this issue of the magazine. This is going to be a super big help. Well, it sounds terrific. Thank you so much for helping us kind of wrap up this episode. and, And we'll look forward to talking to you again soon.
6: Yes, definitely.
0: Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for joining me for this June 2022 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. You'll find the show notes, uh, our webpage with everything that we talked about here on the today's Show and links to uh, all the resources that we talked about. You'll find that at familytreemagazinecom podcasts. And if you're enjoying this podcast, uh, while you're in your podcasting app, would you do us a favor, give us a five star review, give it a, a nice little endorsement. We do appreciate your help with that. Again, I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and you can visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, which is the home of the Genealogy Gems podcast. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.